When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. And quite remarkably, live from Doha, Qatar, uh, I am joined by George Cooper, who's alongside me. Hello. Hello, Sammy. And joined by Don Betts. Hello. Hello, mate. I mean, a pretty unique situation that uh, three Fulhamish contributors just happen to all be uh, in uh, Qatar for various reasons. Um, Myself and George, uh, we're on a place called Pearl Island. And then Dom is about 10 minutes down the road, a place called West Bay, is it? Yeah, it's probably about about 10 minutes drive, mate, not far. And yeah, we're just going to... Look back at the World Cup with a bit of a Fulham tinge to it. And uh, we've got some questions as well. Just a short kind of World Cup roundup. We're going to do a few of these during the tournament. So uh, let's start with um, last night and Alexander Mitrovic uh, in the World Cup. Everyone's excited to see him start for Serbia against Brazil. Doesn't get much tougher. Um, George, though, it was a bit of a... uh, well, it wasn't what we were all hoping. You got very giddy before the match and put quite a bit of money on Mitrovic to score any time. And uh, I think you're counting the pennies this morning. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you may, may, you're you regretting that slightly. I'm, I'm not a betting man usually, but yeah, the excitement of seeing our man on the world's biggest footballing stage, yeah, it just, it just overcame me. But he just got marked out of the game to be honest. You, you forget about the quality of Brazil's defence. You know, you got Marquinhos and, and Thiago Silva there just seemed to mark him out of the game. He didn't look like he was 100% fit. I mean, he's, it, it's just his sort of work rate was a dropped off a bit. It seems though he was sort of preserving that, that foot injury. But yeah, it was a shame. We, I was itching to see him on the scoreline. We, we looked very out of place where we were sat. We were sort of surrounded by Brazil fans. I was wearing my Pizza Hut Fulham shirt and uh, <laughs> I think I got a few confused looks like, what's this guy all about? But it was a great evening and, you know, I'm sure this isn't the last we'll see of Alex in the uh, in the tournament and he'll bag a few. But I know a load of people, Fulham fans especially, who've, uh, who've backed him to have Golden Boot. I believe you did as well, didn't you, Sammy? Yeah, I've backed him for Golden Boot. I think he was 50 to 1. He was 80 to 1, but I think a lot of Fulham fans lumped on I saw quite a bit of a Twitter uh, trend that everyone decided to go for it. Um, you know, we've we've done well in the betting stakes. Anyone that bet Mitrovic to get 40 plus goals made a lot of money last year. Anyone that bet Fulham to score 100 plus goals. So maybe we're all kind of riding that wave from last season where it all kind of worked out doing those uh, big bets. I think Mitrovic to finish top scorer uh, is a little bit of a long shot. Interestingly, when you talk about um, the Pizza Hut shirt, you weren't the only person in, in a retro Fulham top last night. Um, I saw a guy, and I did chat to him briefly, in a dabs.com 0304 Puma shirt. You know, the one where the uh, the left-hand side of the, I know the one, sleeve yeah. is, is black. Um, and he was wearing that, you know, in homage of, of Mitrovic. So you weren't the only person to fill them top. One thing I found quite amusing was before you get into the stadium, at uh, any stadium in, in out here in Qatar, you have to have any sort of flag slogan or like 
you know, Logan that's on a t-shirt checked before it goes in. And uh, they pinged me <laughs> and got me to stand over to this special scanner to, to scan the Pizza Hut logo to make, sure, <laughs> to make sure that it wasn't some sort of like political slogan. I was like, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is, this is all right. I'd be amazed if I get the, if I get denied entry to Brazil Serbia the World Cup for a Pizza Hut logo, then, you know, that's, that's really going some. The tournament sponsored by Papa John's. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Don, what did you make of the game last night? You were there as well. Um, I mean, inc- incredible stadium, first of all, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's, 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 abs- it's absolutely amazing. And when you come up to it, it's just, a, it just, it's just you see it from miles and miles away. Our, our taxi driver could only drop us off like, you know, one and a half, two kilometres away. So we said to walk just one or so minutes and it was all, it was just massive stadium just a- around there. And you, uh, what I found with a lot of these stadiums, you can't tell what the inside going to look like by looking at the, the exterior of the stadium. I, it, it's, 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 you, you walk in, it's sometimes not completely respect. Yesterday was my four about the eight uh, grounds out here in Qatar. And yeah, I mean, once you got in, it was like, wow, it was like proper, you know, Wembley vibes, you know, Emirates, Allianz, Allianz in, in Munich, or that definitely European built team. And yeah, it was absolutely amazing. I was all the way up in the gods, but uh, no, I thought it was actually a good game. Um, I think, you know, you know, Serbia didn't quite get the service to Mitrovic that you needed, but I said overall, I don't think Serbia played terribly. I think I think Brazil's quality just sort of shone shone through in the end. You know, going into halftime nil nil, sort of Serbia would have wanted, and then but yeah, then Richarlison showed his quality, especially in that second goal. I think everyone in the stadium stood up and applauded that, even even some of the Serbian fans. So you know, it was, it was one, probably the best stadium I've been to yet. Um, but I said, it, and it's obviously where the final's going to be. So hopefully, I'm back there in about three weeks' time. It reminded me of Emirates, but at a steeper incline. It was. It looked very similar. It's just a beautiful, beautiful ground. One of the nicest grounds I think I've ever been to. Yeah, of course, with the caveat of how obviously Qatar built all these yeah, stadiums I mean, and stuff. I don't think you can uh, you can get away from that when you're when you're in there and stuff. Obviously, like the actual venue itself is perfect. I don't think any of us, by the way, are uh, playing down. Um, you know what kind of human cost there was to build these grounds. But I mean, for Serbia and for Mitrovic, um, he's got two games, George, coming up that. I think if he's going to start bagging, I think, you know, especially the next game against Cameroon on Monday is probably where hopefully Mitrovic can pick up some form. And what we know with Mitrovic is he is a very streaky player. I mean, that streak lasted the whole of last season. Um, <laughs> but once he gets scoring, he kind of normally continues scoring, but often it's just a bit of a struggle for him to kind of get that first goal. And then once he has normally the hand breaks off and he just keeps scoring. Yeah, hand breaks off, floodgates open and he's a confidence player, right? And yeah. you've seen how much, you know, we bumped into some Serbian supporters out and out in the souk and they're wearing Mitro's on fire t-shirts. Yes. He's absolutely adored by this fan base. It's just going to take that one goal, get the crowd going and then I'm sure we'll see a few more. But just reflecting on what Dom said, I, I don't think Serbia needs to be worried at all. They played fantastically first half, kept Brazil at bay and it wasn't really until the last 25 minutes of that match um, last night where, you know, Brazil just started to sort of, you know, really take a stranglehold on the game. But yeah, I'm I'm very confident we'll see Mitra on the score sheet over the next couple of matches, you know. I just, I'm just worried about the foot injury. I think that... It, you know, when we see him play for Fulham, he's so dogged, like his defensive work rate as well as his attacking work rate. He's just, you know, chasing down every ball and we didn't see that. And perhaps that's the way that Serbia play. You know, they want him to just, you know, linger and be that real target man rather than, you know, chasing everything down. But I'm I'm a little bit worried that it could be this, you know, this lingering foot problem that he's got. But yeah, we'll see. He'll get, he'll get, on, he'll get on the score sheet. Come on. Yeah. Um, move on to another game then. And this was the first game in the tournament involved Fulham players 
I think the first time in history that four Fulham players have been involved in the same World Cup match. So it was USA-Wales. You had Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson starting for the US. Uh, and then you had Harry Wilson and Dan James for Wales. You had Nico Williams, who was obviously not at Fulham anymore, but he was last season also playing um, for Wales. So it was a very uh, weird spectacle kind of seeing, um, it felt like nearly a quarter of the players on the pitch um, uh Fulham players um, natively. You described it as looking like a championship match. <laughs> we were watching it. I mean, the whole thing did scream a little bit like it was a championship match <laughs> in the World Cup. But anyway, let's let's get. Let's not let's not dampen it too much. I mean, Dom, it was quite a weird spectacle, wasn't it? Also, again, when it was kind of like USA defenders, and then it was like Wales attackers in both that represented Fulham. It was kind of like they were properly pitted against each other. Yeah, so we were watching it in a pub out of Qatar called The Red Lion, which is, if anyone's out of Qatar, I recommend trying to get a book in there because it's a very, the atmosphere in there was absolutely amazing, obviously, after England's win. But, yeah, me me and a couple of my fellow mates here were watching the game and well, every time there was sort of like any, like, if it was Reem Robinson, um, Jane Wilson, or even Nico Williams, we were like screaming at TV, go, go on, mention Fulham, go on, <laughs> see, if we get, see, see if we could get any. Um, but yeah, I said it was it was obviously strange seeing four Fulham players in a singular World Cup match. I said that's not something you see uh, most, most 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 World Cups. But I mean, from my perspective, I, I was delighted with the result. The draw after, after England's victory was was the, was the perfect result. I don't think I don't think any of the Fulham players had a bad game. I thought Tim Ream looked really good for the USA, especially as he's not been in their squads uh, recently. Uh, you know, I, I believe the UK commentators believed he gave away the penalty. You know, I think it was Zimmerman. Yes. He gave that one away, but yeah, it was it was a strange thing seeing the four Fulham players play. But seeing it ended up in the draw, I couldn't have been any happier with the result itself. Yeah, I mean, uh, George Tim Ream just was a colossus, and yeah, I, um, apparently the the UK commentator, I'm not 100 sure who it was, um, thought that it was Tim Ream that gave away the penalty, not Christoph Zimmerman. Um, which uh, is quite frustrating. I saw a lot of um, Fulham fans uh, doing the Lord's work on Twitter, <laughs> going round uh, defending uh, Tim Ream. I saw Max Rushton was like, oh no, Tim Ream has done a Tim Ream. And a lot of Fulham fans were like, no, it wasn't. It was Zimmerman, Max. <laughs> Calm yourself down. Um, including Archie Rintup, which um, I, I enjoyed. But yeah, I mean, it was kind of like, especially watching the US, I, I felt like I was watching Fulham at times. Um, just the way that Ream is so calm and composed on the ball, bringing it out from the bag. Robinson's kind of doing laps of the pitch on the left-hand side. Um, I felt like it almost like a, uh, a comforting presence watching the US because I felt a little bit like I was watching Fulham. I know exactly what you mean. And it's hard to look past the fact that perhaps Bellharter, the US manager's, been looking and watching Fulham and seeing the synergy and in our defence and maybe thinking, you know, there's a good thing going there. See if we can just pick that and emulate it in our national team. But it was so, yeah, it was really comforting. You feel a long way from home out here. And yeah, it was, <laughs> it was kind of like <laughs> home away from home watching the two play. Reem was fantastic, by the way, you know, really calm presence. And, you know, it's the sort of man that you'd want in the national sides at a World Cup. You know that. Although right. to be fair, he didn't really have much to do in the first half because Wales just didn't rebellion got out of their own half. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was a very uh, accomplished performance, and I am yeah, I'm looking forward to watching him play against England tonight. Yeah, it's an interesting matchup. That obviously, I was saying this to Dom yesterday. I was like, oh, obviously, I want England to win, but I don't want Ream and Robinson to drop a clanger. And uh, Dom, you had a very different response. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I fully hope they drop one out of ten performances against England. <laughs> 
hope, I hope a car attacker just absolutely destroys them both, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, I know there'll be a lot of you listening that are supporting the US tonight. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it matches up. I mean, Dom, um, this podcast. A lot of people might be listening to it after the game has uh, has happened, but. I mean, surely nothing else but an England win will uh, will suffice here. But I think they're going to be much tough, tougher opposition than than Iran. I think. I think people are giving Iran too much stick. I just I think England were very good and took all their chances. Like England, it's not like England had like twenty shots on goal. I think Senegal had more shots on goal against Qatar than we had against Iran. And I think yeah, Iran Iran played poorly, but they had their second their second choice goalkeeper in net for, for some of the game. I think England were just very clinical with what they did. Um, and I think Iran will give USA and Wales tough tests. That's mainly because I want both of them to go out. But you know, I think <laughs> I, don't, I think people are giving Iran more stick than they they were they were poor. But again, they were, it's not it's like they've been the worst team in the tournament. They've not been Qatar. They've not been Costa Rica. So I think yeah, I think it, it will be a tough test. But I also think you know USA going to have a different 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 game plan tonight because they're going to be looking at right. They don't need to get a result tonight. They can go into that. Iran game, thinking right. If we win that, then we, we, we on four points. You'd expect us to get to be, to be going through. So I think the game plans we're going to see from USA and Wales are going to be very different because Wales could need a win to get through when they play us on on, on the last on the last game. So but I think we can do a totally different game plan from obviously a Belhar this evening because you know he, he's just going to be trying to sharp chop and trying to hit England on the counter attack. Not like the first half against Wales where they were dominating the ball and they were having the majority of the chances. So I'm interested to see how they sort of adapt their game plan and whether, you know, whether we'll really see Robinson bombing on as much as we necessarily usually do. Yeah. Also, I, can I make one point? It's a disgrace that Anthony Robinson is number five and he's a left back. <laughs> That's just not acceptable. Worst not thing. Acceptable. There have been worse numbering crimes than a left back playing number five. <laughs> number five. You're, you're not, unless you're a centre back, you cannot be wearing number five. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, there's goalkeepers I've seen playing number two um, over the years. I feel like there's definitely worse crimes than that. But yeah, I do agree. Yeah, um, but World Cup number in this, there's 26 numbers. Quite obviously, you'd give them three because you're starting left back. Yeah. Common sense. What other numbers would be acceptable for a left back? I think I'll take four. Right, maybe four out of push. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, if they're the back, if they're the backup left back, then obviously they'll be like sixteen or something. Yeah, yeah. Just give like twenty-two or something. Five, no, no, man. Five, five is Dom's sacred number. Um, interestingly, for for Wales, there wasn't a huge amount to say. I didn't think Harry Wilson or James particularly impressed. James got hauled off for, for Kiefer Moore. Um, he impressed so little, in fact, that um, we're just seeing the lineup. Uh, for Wales versus Iran, and, uh, yeah, and James has been dropped to the bench, and uh, and Kiefer Moore has been brought into the starting line. Well, it's, it's probably the first game in about eighteen months he hasn't started for Wales. Yeah, like usually on the first game on their team sheet. Yeah, so I think uh, Dan James probably got a little bit of impressing to do to get back into the fold. But Harry Wilson starting uh, again for for the Welsh team, and um, it is good for Harry now that he's built up a run of, of steam, and I think this is healthy for Fulham that he's building his minutes up. So. Fingers crossed, because you know we know that he's been poor in the Fulham games since he's come back from injury. So fingers crossed, bit of time away with Wales, and then a bit of a break. You'd imagine because Wales aren't going to go all the way. Sorry, Welsh fans. Um, so you'd imagine 
This could be. Yeah, he's, only got, he's, yeah. only got a few, he's only got a few more days, and they'll be able to fly back to London. <laughs> that's the most. That's the most Sammy James sort of like mindset I've ever heard. Like, oh yeah, you know, it's good to. Uh, it's like practicing for when that you know his actual footballing duties. Get the cut. He's on the playing in the World Cup. He's like, yeah, get his, get the minutes in, get the minutes in, so he can really, really yeah, be so he, so that, on fighting form for when. He, when so he that he's ready for Palace on Boxing Day, the big, <laughs> the big game that everyone's worried about. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's England and Fulham. Other than that, I'm kind of calm. Um, <laughs> Um, so, and then uh, one other player that we saw from a Fulham perspective uh, make his World Cup debut, uh, João Polina, came off the bench for Portugal in their 3-2 win over Ghana. He was uh, brought on to protect Portugal's lead. Um, I didn't see this game, um, nor did you, George. Did, did you see any of the Portugal game, Dom? Because obviously we were going to yeah, the Brazil-Serbia yeah, game. Yeah, I, I watched it in a bar before we headed across to the Brazil-Serbia game. And I think I saw a stat that although he only played such a short amount of time, he still made the joint most tackles during the game. It's a beast, absolute beast. Which, albeit, albeit it was only about two, but <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, that was probably the best game of yesterday. I mean, that Portugal Ghana game was absolutely mental. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Paulini, Paulini came on, looked, uh, looked solid, and I think he, he should be starting, to be honest. But yeah, I, said it, I think it shows that him making the joint most tackles in the game, despite only coming on for about 10 minutes or so. Yeah. Uh, right, let's uh, take a break there. Afterwards, we've got some questions. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here in Doha with George Cooper and Don Betts. All right. So uh, we've got some questions that we uh, went to our Fulhamish community on Telegram for. And um, I think a lot of these questions are centered around the World Cup kind of experience, really. It is surreal being out here. And obviously, I don't think there's ever been a tournament more controversial than this one. Um, So I think a perfect moment to start with this question from... Uh, Jay says, I would ask if the media coverage of the fan experience is fair. We've heard how crap it is, but Dom and the gang uh, are having a great time. I think the media coverage of the environmental and human rights aspects has been a fair discussion. So there is a couple of different controversies here. And, you know, I think things like human rights abuse and the treatment of LGBT people out here is, is one aspect that I think is kind of clear cut. But Dom, the fan experience has been made a lot of. When when beer got banned from the stadiums out here, there was a lot of jokes and a lot of memes and a lot of uh, a lot of people sending you messages in particular. So what have you found of it? Because I feel like when you're out here and some of the things I've seen in some of the places and the Sukwa Keef and stuff is very different to how people are probably picturing it. Yeah, fan experience-wise, it was just all right, sort of not, not the games itself, but sort of spinning in the city and going around, it's been absolutely amazing. I mean, the idea that people think you couldn't drink here is remarkable. I think I've been to a different bar every single night, every single day. I think I've only been to one bar twice. Um, and yeah, it's been it's been amazing. Uh, it's, and it's different to obviously uh, other major tournaments where you, it's different cities hosting different games right in the country. It's, it's all the fans in one city. So you're, you're drinking and you're speaking to so many different fans in different countries. Um, Throughout the day, you know, I've just been to Ecuador, Mexico, Australia, uh, speak to some world fans in the bar, Iranians, like uh, Senegal, Ghana, you, you name it. We, we, we've seen them in and around Doha. We've had conversations with them. I said, you saw those Serbian fans yesterday, the meters on fire t-shirts. I mean, that's, that's been the best thing about it all being in one city is that everyone's here and that it's just, it's just like the ultimate sort of culmination of sport, really. And like you're, you're meeting people from all around the world, from all different cultures you would never usually speak to. And that's been the best thing. And I said, there's so much, it's not just, you know, high rises and hotels here. You know, there are parts which are really sort of laid back and nice. 
Uh, I went to a place called Katara, which is sort of in between where me and you were staying, so in between the West Bay and the Pearl Island, which was really sort of laid back. And there was a place called the Multicultural Village, which was really nice to walk through. Then there was a beach, which was, you know, I said, really, really, really laid back. Um, and yeah, I said, if you want a drink, you can find places to do it. There's, there's hotels that's got bars in, there's bars that's got happy hours. People are probably wondering price-wise. I'd say average happy hour, you're probably paying sort of six to eight pounds and in regular probably 10 to 12. But there's a lot of places that do like beer bucket deals. So you pay, you buy a bucket of like six beers or bu- bucket of five beers, which is like, you know, that would be like maybe, I don't know, 30 quid or something like that. Um, I've, re- I've really enjoyed it. I think the, big, the biggest issues uh, fan experience wise has probably been some of the infrastructure around the stadiums themselves, I would say. Uh, there was, it's getting in, there's a lot of one way systems. So you're, you're often looping around loads of places to get somewhere that's probably bang in front of you. Like getting to the Lusail crash yesterday, we could see the same on our right, we had to go up all the way up the main road and then sort of go across. But I mean, it's, you know, it's a lot, it, I feel like when we get to the latter end of the tournament, things will be a lot smoother in that regard. Because if you think about it, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the first group games, because obviously we're just getting to the second round of group games today, is the first time a lot of these famous hosted football matches. So, you know, taxi drivers and even the, the traffic coordination people aren't entirely sure sort of what, what, what the deal is. But I said from fan experience, it's being in and around the city, drinking with friends, drinking with random other fans from different countries. It's been absolutely amazing so far. The weather's been really good. It's not been too hot. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had I've had a, I've had a great time so far, and I think it's only it's only going to get better. Obviously, it was made ten times better by England winning six two on only my second, <laughs> second day, first full day here, and you know, especially being a four pm kickoff, that that was that was really good as well because we did time before and after. Um, it, I said, t- I, I thankfully that oh, my, my body clock hasn't been too bad. I think when I first arrived here, I didn't really know what time or day it was. So I was working early in England on a Saturday, flew over Saturday night, landed half seven on Sunday morning. I was like, I don't know what time it is. But no, I've, I've had a great time here. Uh, just, yeah, it's been, it's been just, yeah, it's been like, you do most things that you'd usually do. Yes, you, can, you can't drink at a cafe right next to a beach, but I mean, if you want to drink, there are places to do it. And yeah, I've had, I've had, a, I've had a great time so far and I think it's only going to get better. Yeah, George, obviously we haven't had as much fan experience as Dom because we've been working out here, but we did kind of experience... Uh, a stadium properly last night for brazil serbia i think that is kind of right it's like outside these grounds it does feel almost a bit half finished the stadiums themselves are incredible but when we did go to sukwakif yesterday which is the the main kind of marketplace in doha there's there's stalls there's restaurants there's loads of stuff and you know, I mean, it was crazy in there. We saw a, a mariachi band and Mexican fans singing. I met the Serbia fans who um, looked like they'd steal my lunch money. I'm six foot and I looked about four. <laughs> it was so tall. Yeah, big, big, big lads, weren't they? Like that element of it, I'm like, I, I'm, I was pleasantly surprised because I, I came out here fully expecting it to be horrific. And whilst there are things that are not quite as good as your average World Cup, I think certainly there are ways of making the best of it and there are positives that maybe people wouldn't realise until you got here. Yeah, I mean, that was the kind of World Cup experience that I imagined being in that souk yesterday. And the place where we're staying, like this this whole place, you feel like it's, it's still got the tags on. Everything is so new. It's like they've just all of a sudden built this huge like city to like, facilitate a world cup and that felt authentic and that felt like in the souk that is old and you know i was getting a bit of qatari culture and i feel like you just need to know like dom is amazing at finding you know the cool things to do and the places to go and the and the fan zones and that kind of stuff and i was 
Yeah, because where we're staying, there's not an awful lot of that. You know, there are a lot of cafes around the waterfront. They've got these big screens on and there's like four or five people watching the games. I was like, this is really quiet. But you just need to know where to go. Um, I thought, yeah, what you said about the crowd and the infrastructure, the crowd's management, your mate Matt was saying this, Dom, just isn't quite there. And, you, you know, like we're all geared up for it in Europe. You know, we've got plethora of stadiums we know how to run football you know big like domestic tournaments and and you know leagues and and whatnot and because i've never had anything like this before i was saying to yesterday sammy isn't it it's like you know if some someone who's got a farm who decides you know i'm going to run a festival this year for the first time that they're doing it there's going to be a lot of teething issues because they just like haven't ever done it before so it's kind of to be expected it hasn't been horrific it's just a bit of kind of i guess disorganization but i i, I hope that it hasn't had a hindrance on on people's fan experience overall i mean dom have you found that crowd management's just a bit kind of um a bit ropey at times yeah i think you know as you said they haven't hosted anything like this before i mean i don't think the closest thing they had was the club world cup and I think they're close to the Arrow Cup as well, but that, that's about it. It's not nothing on a World Cup where you got, you know, hundreds of thousands of Mexicans arriving, hundreds of thousands of Argentinians arriving, tens of thousands of English fans arriving. So it's, it's it's very different. And this is a very different World Cup to a lot of others where people are trying to do as many games as they can, kind of thing. Like I'm doing game a day during the group stages. I know some people who've done two games, some people have done three games in a day. And I think, you know, maybe some people are only here for, you know, a week, 10 days. So trying to do as much as they can, trying to cram it all in. But I said the infrastructure around the ground itself is is probably been the biggest issue so far. But once you're through that initial security check, it's fine. But I said you are wanting to get to grounds earlier than you necessarily would, I would, for an England away game at, let's say, the Allianz or the San Siro recently. Um, but it said it's just once you once you've worked out what what the deal is. So once we've done all the once I've done all the grounds, which I'll do by the time we play Wales on Monday, I'll sort of, I'll sort of know what each, what each ground's about. Um, so yeah, so it's the infrastructure around certain grounds. Obviously, the Khalifa where England played around wasn't as bad as some others have been, just because that that ground's been here previously. Obviously, the metro station's new, but obviously that ground's always been there. Um, the security check there was was bad, but I think that's another reason because it's an old ground. They don't they didn't have as many security checkpoints uh, as they like, all around the ground. Whereas it was just sort of one. Uh, but so once you're through the security checkpoint, yeah, it's, the grounds themselves are, are perfectly fine. I mean, some. I think the biggest issue inside the ground is you can only play a visa, as opposed to Mastercard. But, yes. I mean, because they're obviously the official sponsor of the tournament. But like, people saying, "Oh, you can't drink in and around the ground inside the ground." Like, to be honest, what I'm trying to think, what grounds I've been to with England where I can do that? <laughs> I mean, the last thing in away game where you could have a beer in the ground that's obviously alcoholic was probably Kosovo in November 2019. So I mean, it's not, it's not no different procedure. Yes, if you see some of the bits outside the ground. So there's like outside the Lusar last night, there was all the DJ and people performing. It would be nice to have had a couple there after the game or a couple there before the game. But it's, not a, it's not a big deal, you know. You can, you're you still getting atmospheres in the bars and stuff. You're still seeing the fans everywhere. So I don't think, I, don't, I think the the alcohol thing in grounds was, was people making a big deal out of nothing, personally. I think the main issue was obviously it being so last minute and it being made more of a logistical nightmare because the, the entrance to the stadiums wouldn't be as staggered. But yeah, I said, it's only a few bits of the infrastructure uh, around the grounds and the crowd control, which I think has been an issue so far. But as in the fan experience itself, just being in and around the city, it's been sensational so far. Yeah, I would love to see, and I don't think this would ever happen, the, the concept of a World Cup in a city is quite cool. I think London, I was just thinking about this, is maybe the only place that could feasibly do this. And of course, that would never happen because the UK government would never sanction something when it's trying to prove that uh, uh, 
England, the UK is not all about, is not completely London centric. But if you did have a World Cup in London, it would probably be feasible given the amount of stadiums that there are and good stadiums at that as well. The concept of being able to go to more than one World Cup game a day is really, really cool. Um, I mean, whether it's the be all and end all, I don't think so. Um, but it is it is quite an interesting um, concept. And uh, yeah, uh, to echo Dom's sentiments, it does feel like there is enough places to, to drink out here. Dom has a Google Doc of uh, the different bars in Doha, which I uh, particularly enjoyed reading uh, on, the, uh, on the way here. Um, Drew Heatley, oh, our very own Drew Heatley asks... What are the best and worst case scenarios to come out of this World Cup for uh, for Fulham? So in terms of uh, players and how far they get and uh, getting injured, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I mean, surely the best case scenario is that everyone just gets knocked out in the group stage being being fair. Although for someone like Mitrovic, I do think he maybe needs some confidence from this World Cup. Yeah, yeah so I said, I, th- I think that, I think with Mitrovic, I was like, maybe round of 16, get through the group, have that knockout tie, he'll finish second, he'll probably have a tough tie against group winner, and then he'll come home with sort of, Two, two, three weeks to prepare before we go against Palace. I think the player will probably go furthest will be Palina. Um, I think Portugal. I'd, I know their record in World Cups isn't the greatest compared to the European Championship record. Um, I don't think they. I don't believe they've ever won it. Um, and you know, I think until we're sort of the late noughties, they get they'll qualify for every tournament. But I think he's probably going to go the furthest, especially being Ronaldo the last tournament. He's definitely going to want to try and win it. So, but I think you know, I think one of Obviously, I assume one or even both of you saying Wales could be coming home after the group stages. So I think from a Fulham perspective, really, we I don't the only player really who I think will be in the latter stages will be playing. Yes, so as long as we don't get any injuries there. And obviously, he didn't even, he didn't start yesterday, so it's not like he's one of their key key men. I think if Midridge can get to the round of sixteen. I'm going to his game against Cameroon, and it's a massive game. Obviously, both of them losing their opening game, so hopefully, he's on top form for that, and he can get a goal or two in that game. But yeah, I think that's probably for me the best case scenario. Wales and Australia getting knocked out of the group stages, so those four come up, come back unscathed. Uh, you've got Mitrovic getting some confidence by getting to the round of 16. And then Kalina, obviously, it depends how many games he's playing, but if he, if he, if he gets to the semis or the quarterfinals, then that, he'll, he'll have a good time. Then he comes back, and I think Kalina is someone who's going to be definitely roaring and ready to go for Palace away, no matter what. Yeah, and, and considering that Kalina is not starting for Portugal unless he particularly uh, manages to change... Um, uh, the coach's mind. I think it's obviously very likely now that Portugal and Serbia could play each other in the round of 16 because um, well, I'm pretty sure Serbia won't win their group. And I think you'd be hard pressed to say that Portugal won't. So if Portugal win their group, Serbia comes second, they play each other in the round of 16. So we then will definitely have uh, a Fulham player in the quarterfinal. That is definitely one game I'll be trying to get a ticket for in the round of 16. Yes, if that, if that, does happen. that would be an absolutely quality game. Um, sadly, we've gone home by that point. But uh, yeah, definitely one to uh, to watch anyway. Uh, Luke ZG says, uh, what have been your favourite goals and games from the opening rounds of uh, matches? Uh, George, what, uh, what comes to mind? It's a bit disappointing we didn't watch the um, Portugal-Ghana game yesterday because that probably was, um, by definition, the, uh, the, the best game. But yeah, what have been your, your favourite goals and games? Um, well, Richarlison's goal last night was something else. That was pretty special. Oh, it was sensational. Everyone's, sensational. Everyone in the ground standing up applauding that. So yeah. that, for me, definitely was the goal so far. Uh, I mean, like England-Iran, I know it's such a bait choice, but seeing in particular Rashford, um, Saka uh, and Sterling will get on the score sheet after what happened in the Euros was a very uh, special moment and I was going absolutely crazy. So those those were my top moments. What about you guys? 
I mean, for me, it's the upsets. I loved Saudi Arabia beating Argentina. I was, I was screaming at the, yeah, uh, that was fun at the screen during uh, stoppage time, and um, I just thought that was such an incredible result, really, um, to to happen. I, I, J- Japan beating Germany for me wasn't as much of a shock. I feel like Germany are a bit of a uh, not. The yeah, but it was funny that it was two Bundesliga players who scored. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong. I loved it and enjoyed it, but it didn't feel quite like I was like this could happen. Whereas I didn't even like consider that. Uh, yeah, that Argentina could I mean, lose to Saudi I said, Arabia. Yeah, I said pretty similar for me. Argentina and Germany looking on losing on back to back days in the World Cup. Yeah, what what, <laughs> what a life. Beautiful stuff. I mean, regards to the England England stuff, I think the third goal probably just because I was like we're three 0 up in. The first half of a World Cup game. What's going on? Mm, yeah. <laughs> I know we're playing it wrong, but still, like, what's going? What's going on? That 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 was great. Um, what wasn't so great in that game was about the twenty-five minutes of added time and <laughs> yeah, the crowd twenty about quarter past six guitar um, time. But um, yeah, I think best goal I've seen live was definitely the Richardson one last night. That was that was sensational. I mean, obviously, I was sporting Serbia. Wanted Mitrovic to do well, but even 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 me, and my mate, stand up and applaud that goal. That was that was absolutely sensational. But yeah. Uh, Germany losing thanks to two Bundesliga players was quite funny. Hope, and obviously, I saw Spain seven 0 demolition of Costa Rica. And um, I mean, to be honest, it, it still wasn't an exciting game. <laughs> I know they won seven yeah. 0 but it was quite boring, boring to watch because the, there was sort of no atmosphere in the game. And, the more, and most of the atmosphere was coming from the Mexican fans who were in the ground singing about seeing Mexico and about uh, having Lozano. It wasn't really that much of an atmosphere, but yeah, I think they, they look decent. I think, but I think some like Costa Rica didn't offer anything. I don't even think Spain's goalkeeper had to take a goal kick during the game, um, which is absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, for me, when it comes to the shocks, has to be back to back, you know, Argentina losing one day, Germany losing the next, and then yeah, England being 3 0 up. And yeah, goal of tournament so far for me, definitely Richardson. Yeah, yeah. Just in the fallout of the Argentina Saudi Arabia uh, match, the, the Saudi Arabian fans have been such good value. We've seen the, a load of them around. They're just loving life. They've got a national holiday after the <laughs> result of that game. And there's been so many funny videos on Twitter, one in particular of uh, these um, Saudis celebrating the goal. I'm not sure if you've seen it. And, and one of the lads, just rips the door off its yeah. hinges and throws it into the garden. Just and then, ensure there's you for it. An AK-47 into the air. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just amazing. And there was another one of them singing um, "Free from Desire" as well, uh, which was just yeah, amazing. It's it's great. It's great to see. Yeah. A little plug at this moment. We might as well. Um, if you um, want to know what George and I are doing out here, we're producing a podcast. It's on um, Amazon Music. It's only on Amazon Music. It's one of those kind of exclusive things. It's called Back of the Net. Um, Will Arnett's hosting it. We've got this NFL player called Marshawn Lynch and then Sam Mewis, who won the World Cup uh, with the US um, in 2019. And um, it's a really like kind of funny take on the World Cup. So uh yeah, give it a listen. Um, particularly, I think if you're in the US, you'll uh, you'll enjoy it even more. Um, we've got Freddie Adu as our guest tonight on the uh, on the show, which is uh, quite a random booking, but uh, <laughs> quite an enjoyable one. Uh, particularly for the football manager fans from the early 2000s, uh, a big name, uh, Fr- Freddie Adu. But yeah, might as well mention it on here if you fancy a bit more of a World Cup show that uh, that we're producing. And you can normally hear George and me laughing along in the background like an idiot. Yeah, um, it's very silly, very lighthearted. We also had David James, uh, Danny Mills, obviously both played for England in the World Cup. They were both brilliant value. Um, but yeah, if you want a bit of a 
comedy World Cup fix, um, then yeah, check it out. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Right, that'll do for the podcast today. Um, I've loved this. This has kind of been like peak Fulhamish for me <laughs> at, at a World Cup, all three of us. Um, How the just, hell do we end up Yeah, here? I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, really, really um, enjoyable. Um, so George Cooper, thank you very much. No, thank you, mate. Thank you. Don Betts, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking about the World Cup, mate. Yeah, and um, we've got more uh, Fulhamish content uh, dropping on the podcast uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, We've got a whiteboard, we've got a George Best documentary coming up as well. We've got more kind of World Cup roundups in the next uh, week. We're kind of spacing those about a week apart, um, just kind of dissecting everything about the World Cup. They won't all be live from Qatar, though. Uh, We will get some people back in Blighty uh, on for those. So, yeah, thank you so much for listening and uh, have a great weekend and uh, keep enjoying the football. Come on, you whites. You whites.